Black lives matter, blue lives matter, all lives matter. Republican, Democrat, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. We live in the most tension-filled time of my lifetime, and most of yours as well. It's the perfect storm of global pandemic, political divide, police brutality, and racism. And the question is, how are we to respond in the midst of this chaos? As followers of Jesus, we're called to be like Christ at all times. And in this episode, I want to talk about what it looks like to be Christ in the chaos. Now, this is part three in our mini-series, The Dignity of Difference. And if you haven't watched or listened to parts one and two, I'd highly recommend doing so, as those episodes framed the biblical context to now address the cultural context we find ourselves in. But let me provide a quick recap. In part one, we discussed the surprising level of diversity among Jesus's disciples. And we talked about how God is not a God of uniformity, but a God of unity. And the command is unity within our diversity. In part two, we trace the connected theme of justice and righteousness through the scriptures. We define righteousness as the state of being in right relationship with others and justice as the actions we take to restore righteousness and prevent any future injustice. These were at the heart of Jesus's ministry and that as his followers pursuing them are not optional, they're expected. And now for this episode, we wanna take things further by speaking into the tensions of our day. And since we have people engaging this from many parts of the world, I want to mention up front that we'll be addressing specifically the context here in the United States. But what I'll be sharing, I believe, is relevant to any polarizing tensions in any culture at any time. Now, furthermore, some may wonder why we're addressing these cultural issues. Got three reasons. First, if the Bible can't address the most pressing issues of our day, then it's irrelevant and unhelpful. We believe unequivocally this isn't the case. The Bible speaks to every generation and followers of Jesus are called to lead the way in addressing the issues of their day from a biblical perspective. Now, second, uh, we believe this is near and dear to the heart of God. God created everyone in his own image and he loves them all equally and passionately. God created us all differently because God designed diversity. And we believe it pains him dearly seeing how his creation is treating one another. And third, this is near and dear to us at Walking the Text. We have a diverse staff. We're having these conversations and we believe we're called to help others navigate these conversations as well. So as we get started, uh, keep in mind that this episode isn't the end-all, be-all. These realities are complicated, and complicated situations require comprehensive solutions. What we want to offer here are three commands Jesus has for his followers that are central to being Christ in the chaos. Hello, everyone. I'm Brad Gray, and welcome to the Teaching Series podcast. I've learned that most of us have never been taught how to engage the Bible the way it was intended in its original context, and we are missing out on so much. I created the Teaching Series, which is a weekly video series that explores some aspect of the Bible in its original context, and then talks through how we can apply it well to our own context. 
This podcast is the audio version of those highly visual video teachings, which can be found at walkingthetext.com. Please feel free to rate and review this podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and let's jump into the episode. One of the most penetrating questions Jesus ever asked is recorded in Luke 6.46. Turning to the crowd, he asked, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? It's all too easy, isn't it, to claim to be a follower of Jesus, but then not live the way of Jesus. Or as my good friend Jeff Mannion has said, we hire Jesus as our Savior, but fire Jesus as our teacher. Oh, so good. You know, to be faithful followers of Jesus, we need Jesus as both our Savior and our teacher. Therefore, in each segment of this teaching, we're going to start with Jesus. We'll look at something he said or did. Then we'll identify the command from his words and actions. And finally, explore the implications for our lives in light of our culture's perfect storm. So that's the plan. Buckle up, because here we go. In Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He responds with, love God and love neighbor. And as we've explored before here at Walking the Text, Jesus was saying, hey, how you love others, especially those you dislike or disagree with, that is how you love God. And then Jesus continues by saying, all of the commandments hang on loving God by loving others. On another occasion, Jesus was asked, who constituted a neighbor? This was in Luke 10. And he responded with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, the parable of the Good Samaritan is one of Jesus's most explosive teachings. And as such, we devoted an entire mini-series to it. Uh, The reason why this parable is so explosive is that the Samaritans were among the most hated and dehumanized people groups by many of the Jews in Jesus's day. And by telling a story in which a Samaritan is the hero whose actions we are to emulate, Jesus restored the humanity of the Samaritans and crushed any categories for who constituted a neighbor and who God's people were called to love. Over and over and over again in the scriptures, God calls us to not look to our own interests, but to the interests of others. We're called to love others sacrificially. Thus, the first command Jesus has for his followers to be Christ in the chaos is this, lead with sacrificial love. But here's where things get tricky. One of the things that has been so deeply disturbing in this chaotic season in our country is how many Christians have led not with sacrificial love, but by insisting on their rights, entitlements, and convenience. Instead of letting the sacrificial love of Jesus be our primary orientation to others, we get sucked into this mindset of reflecting the rivalry, the division, the self-interest that are hallmarks of the broken world in which we inhabit. I love the way Dallas Willard puts it in his fantastic book, The Divine Conspiracy. Here's what he says. He says this, what is the point of standing up for rights in a world 
where few people stand up for their responsibilities. Your rights will do you little good unless others are responsible. Oh, so good. Again, we're not called to think of ourselves first and foremost, but to think of others because at the heart of our hope is the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ who went to a cross on our behalf. And sacrificial love is costly. It will cost us comfort. It will cost us convenience. It will cost us whatever privileges we think we're entitled to. Now, one of the words being used to describe the dividedness of our times is the word tribal. It's like our world has been divided up into all of these groups and factions that oppose one another. In the biblical world, tribes were all about self-preservation. Now, you would ask questions like, what's in the best interest of my tribe? Or what has to be done to protect my tribe? And then if you're not in my tribe, that means you're in another tribe. And if you're in another tribe, that means you're thinking about the preservation of your tribe, which makes me a threat to you because I'm part of another tribe. And this is where the Bible is so fascinating. In Genesis 12, God decides the way he's going to restore peace and wholeness to a broken world is by turning Abraham's family into a tribe. But not just any old tribe. This tribe will actually exist for the benefit of all other tribes. I mean, notice what God says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. He says this. He says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So from the very beginning of the Bible, the way God intends to restore harmony to a chaotic world is by forming a people whose fundamental orientation towards others is, I exist to bless you. A people who think more about their responsibilities than they do their rights. A people who don't look to their own interests first and foremost, but to the interests of others. Friends, that's what leading with sacrificial love looks like. And so as you think about how you're navigating the landscape of our day, is this the kind of love you're exemplifying to others? Is it me first or them first? Because if we don't lead with love, we're gonna look nothing like Jesus and we won't be able to be Christ in the chaos. Now here's what's so compelling. When we actually see someone exemplify this kind of sacrificial love, we intuitively grasp that it's the highest and best way to be human. A case in point, in January of 1982, Air Florida Flight 90 took off from Washington National Airport and moments later plunged into the icy Potomac River. Uh, news cameras were rolling as a helicopter struggled to rescue the remaining six survivors. One survivor in particular, a guy by the name of Arlen Williams Jr., became a national inspiration for his sacrificial action. Uh, each time the helicopter dropped a rescue rope, uh, he grabbed it and passed it on to the next person. 
And when the helicopter returned to retrieve Williams, the final survivor, he had tragically drowned. At the time, no one knew who Arlen William Jr. was. Uh, news anchors simply referred to him as the man in the water. A few weeks later in a Time Magazine article, Roger Rosenblatt wrote this about this story. He said this about Arlen Williams Jr. He says, since it was he who lost the fight, we ought to come again to the conclusion that people are powerless in the world. In reality, we believe the reverse. And it takes the act of the man in the water to remind us of our true feelings in this matter. Everyone feels the possibility in himself. That is the abiding wonder of this story. The odd thing is we do not even really believe that the man in the water lost his fight. He could not make ice storms or freeze the water until it froze the blood, but he could hand over to a stranger life. And that is a power of nature too. This man in the water pitted himself against an implacable impersonal enemy. He fought it with charity and he held it to a standoff. He was the best we can do. That kind of sacrificial love is the best we can do. And we all feel that possibility in ourselves. And that's the essence of what it means to be Christ in the chaos. And friends, when you lead with sacrificial love, it gets harder and harder to divide the world up into categories. And that leads us into the second command I want to explore with you. In John chapter eight, a woman caught in adultery is brought before Jesus. And the religious leaders essentially say to Jesus, hey, do we levy the law and stone her or grant her grace and let her go scot-free. Jesus, it's either option A or option B. And Jesus's response, yeah, I'll take option C. Now, likewise, in Matthew 19, Jesus is asked a question about the validity of divorce. But the question isn't really about divorce. The question behind the question is about the most heated debate among the two rabbinic schools of thought in Jesus's day, the debate of divorce. In essence, the real question is, Jesus, do you support Hillel's view on divorce or Shammai's view on divorce? Jesus, it's either option A or option B. And Jesus's response is, yeah, I'll take option C. And again, in Matthew 21, Jesus is asked a question about paying the tribute tax to Caesar. But once again, it's a question with a hidden agenda. The question behind the question is, Jesus, do you support the Jewish uprising against Rome or not? Jesus, it's option A or it's option B. And Jesus's response, yeah, I'll take option C. Because <laughs> over and over and over again in the gospels, Jesus is pitted against an option A or an option B. And Jesus chooses option C because he refuses to be cornered into a category, especially when there's a hidden agenda. And if we intend to be like Christ in the chaos, here's the second thing we gotta keep in mind. Don't get caught in the categories. Now there's a polarizing narrative 
that pervades the issues we're wrestling with in our country today. And you know it full well. It's the same paralyzing and polarizing narrative that has been prevalent throughout human history. And that narrative is that you have to choose one side or the other. You are either in this category or you're in that category. And if you show support for the one, it's assumed you're against the other. Let me show you how this plays out. I grew up in a small town in Michigan where my school was nearly all white, but my sports teams were not. My first AAU basketball coach was black, a man I loved and respected dearly. I had teammates who were black. Most of the teams we played against were black. And it was through playing sports that some of my most cherished friendships were formed. My parents raised me to love and value all people, regardless of their color. And I'm eternally grateful for that. Basketball was important to me, but more important than that were the friendships that came through it and continue to this day. What's been so heartbreaking is knowing how differently my black brothers and sisters have been treated. I've heard their stories, I've witnessed their pain, and as best as I know how, I've sought to understand what it's like to walk in their shoes. And again, it's been heartbreaking. And these last six months have only amplified that heartache. Uh, we've all heard the stories. We've all read the reports. We've watched the videos. And I know for me personally, each one has made me sick. Someone lost their life at the hands of another. We've had and clearly continue to have a horrific problem with racism in our country that must be addressed and justice must be pursued. But here's where it gets even more maddening and polarizing. By me just saying that, there are people who will assume, well, he's for Black Lives Matter, which means he's not for our police. There you go. The polarizing narrative at play. It's option A or it's option B. Either you're for Black Lives Matter or you're for Blue Lives Matter. Friends, how about option C? Currently, I live next to a police officer. He's a good man and he is darn good at his job. And what's been so hard to watch is how difficult and complicated life as a police officer has become for him, just as it has been for every other good police officer whose work and career has been called into question. I affirm him and the outstanding work and service he selflessly provides our community. Listen, I believe black lives matter. I also believe that blue lives matter. What I'm not okay with are the wrongs and injustices occurring within each one. And neither is everyone who is part of these groups. I mean, following the George Floyd murder, I had a conversation with my neighbor. And the moment I asked him about the incident, his immediate response was, what that officer did was wrong. Did you notice what he didn't do? My neighbor didn't immediately label or categorize or make assumptions that lumped anyone into a category. He didn't double down on his police tribe by picking a side. He didn't immediately adopt the party line. Instead, he acknowledged both the value of George Floyd's life and the responsibility of his fellow police officer and the tension that created for him. Like Jesus, my neighbor exhibited option C, thinking. And likewise, within the Black Lives Matter movement, rioting isn't the answer. 
And the black friends in my community have emphatically said that as well. Uh, in the last several months, you've probably heard reference to Martin Luther King Jr.'s quote, a riot is the language of the unheard. Again, to be clear, I don't condone rioting. Jesus is clear that we're not to respond to evil with more evil. And actually, Martin Luther King Jr. was one of the very best practitioners of Jesus's option C thinking. King regularly condemned the use of violence and lawlessness in the pursuit of justice. But he also condemned the intolerable conditions that made people feel like a riot was the only way to be seen and heard. Violence and rioting were not the way, but neither was the passive acceptance of the status quo. Both had to be condemned. Like Jesus, King sought option C. Friends, Jesus refused to get caught in categories, and he's inviting us to do the same by discerning what an option C approach looks like. It's not an easy thing to do. It takes thoughtfulness. It takes creativity. Most of all, it takes hope. And again, it's not easy work. It means choosing to witness the pain of others and not tap out or look away. And as I've been thinking more about this, I just want to say to my black brothers and sisters out there and to all of my brothers and sisters of color, I see the pain and injustice. I'm grieved by it and I grieve with you. And I also wanna to say to my neighbor and to all the other police officers who do their jobs well and show up day after day to serve their community, even though their work has been called into question by all that's happened, I see you. Thank you for still showing up and doing the hard work. Option C thinking means developing the capacity to see all of these things and hold it together while practicing hope. And in the midst of this perfect cultural storm of pandemic, political divide, and racism, friends, we desperately need people who refuse to get caught in the categories. And here's the thing. If we lead with sacrificial love and refuse to get caught in the categories, it's going to be reflected in our relationships which leads us into the third command I want to explore with you. Jesus hung out with the rich and the poor, uh, those of status and those of no status, the politicians, the prostitutes, the Pharisees, the tax collectors, the lepers, and even the quote-unquote sinners. Uh, Jesus's relational sphere was nearly as diverse as his discipleship group. And in being like Christ in the chaos, here's something that is essential. We must diversify our relationships. Uh, human beings naturally gravitate to people of like mind, background, and status. We all know this. But here's the thing. If you're only conversing with those who look like you and think like you and vote like you, you cannot be Christ in the chaos. We must make friends like Jesus did. In fact, if we continue to surround ourselves with only those who look like us, it will end up costing us big time. Uh, in his book, Messy, The Power of Disorder to Transform Our Lives, Tim Hartford tells a story about the critical nature of diversity. Let me summarize that story for you. 
1763, a German named Johann Gottlieb Beckmann wanted to tidy up German forests so they'd be more profitable for the lumber they contained. But forests are a tangled mess of diversity. So, to make the forest easier to manage, the varied species of trees were replaced with a single species, the Norwegian spruce. To make way for the Norwegian spruce, dead trees were cut down, fallen, rotting trees were dragged away, and the underbrush removed. Before long, the forests were as tidy and neatly categorized as a spreadsheet. This arrangement worked nicely for a little while. Then the forest started dying. Eliminating the diversity of the forest had created a fragile ecosystem. And in the absence of diversity, certain species of birds disappeared. Parasites and fungus showed up. The malnourished soil turned acidic. Ugh, that's what happens when you take something designed for diversity and tidy it up into uniform categories. Like the forest, we're meant for diversity. We're interdependent beings who need the richness of diversity in order to flourish. Jesus understood this. Uh, as Brian Loritz, an African-American pastor, said in a recent interview that I'd highly encourage you to watch, and we'll provide the link at Walking the Text, he said this, proximity breeds empathy. See, we cannot understand someone else's situation if we're not in relationship with them. Or as one of my friends recently said, one of the things I've learned about being black in America is that understanding white culture is a core curriculum. But for white people, understanding black culture is an elective. The underlying idea here is that in any given relationship or culture, there are going to be differing realities. It's important that we have intentional relationships with those of different backgrounds in order to experience the fullness of God. It breeds empathy, as Brian so eloquently stated, for each other. Think of it this way. God has hidden pieces of his character within the hearts of the diverse groups of people he's created. And when we connect with others and add their view to our own, we see a clear picture of who God is. Uh, you know, as the masterpieces of the Father, we all hold and bear his image, yes, but to fully see the beauty of the whole image of God, we must actively engage his works of art, that is, of other people. You know, we can share a common pursuit to love each other first and allow our relationships and cultures to be shaped and connected by kingdom ideals rather than making our differences a reason for separation. And that's going to mean asking questions and learning from those who don't look like us, talk like us, and even think like us. So in pulling this all together, how do we be Christ in the chaos? We actually do these things. We put them into practice. We can't just affirm what Jesus has said and not do anything about it. Friends, that's incomplete. He commands his followers to not only believe, but also to do. And I believe this is what he's emphatically calling us and commanding us to do as well. And yes, that's a lot for all of us to think about, and there's a lot for us all to learn. 
But I wanna encourage you with every ounce of hope that is within me that these times are an opportunity. Embrace this moment. This is why followers of Jesus exist. It's precisely in moments like these that we're called to lead the way. As Jesus proclaimed in Matthew chapter five, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So don't shy away. Don't retreat into the shadows. We have this amazing opportunity to put Jesus Christ on display. So friends, let's lead with sacrificial love. Let's refuse to get caught in the categories and let's diversify our relationships. And in doing so, I believe that we can be Christ in the chaos. Well, friends, as always, I pray that this has been helpful to you. I know it has been helpful for me. Uh, And these types of conversations can be challenging, but these are the types of conversations that we need and that make a difference in our lives. And that's what walking the text is all about. I mean, the better that we can better understand God's word, the better we can apply it to our lives. So thanks so much for watching, thanks for listening. And for those of you who are watching on YouTube, something that would be extremely helpful to us would be for you to like and to subscribe. And it would also be really helpful that if you value this content that you would be willing to share it with someone else. And thanks for doing so. Until next time, continue to do the diligent work of being a faithful follower of Jesus. And as always, may you walk out the text well in your life.